All right, we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. It's called Fruit Inspectors. This is part three, and the title of this message is The Fruit of God's Word. At this particular time when First and Second Peter was being written, there was a great persecution going on in the world. For the, many of these Christians, they would pay the ultimate price of their faithfulness to God. And of course, that would be death, and many times it was a brutal kind of death. But as Peter wrote them in his first letter, bringing on encouragement and at the same time giving them perspective of why this was happening so they could persevere, yet now they need to see the fruit of what they have given their lives to. That is, God's word. Is it trustworthy? They need to know so they understood that we're not dying for nothing. And there's a good question for us. Is what I believe true? Am I completely convinced of it? Am I willing to lay down my life for this? Am I that sure of what I believe concerning Jesus and what I believe concerning this Christian life? And listen, there's nothing bad about times like that in our walk with God because it causes us to search our faith. It deepens our faith as we find truth because truth is never afraid of being searched. It's never afraid of examination. So the first thing Peter does here in our text is revealing to us the deep, unshakable foundation for his faith in Jesus Christ and then giving us revelation and then the next thing he does he calls each and every one of us in the world and and whoever we may be to make that foundation our foundation for our faith in Jesus as well so beginning in verse 1 verse 16 Peter says for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. So Peter's talking about that time when there's on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus transformed himself into his glorified body, into his glory. And Peter was there to eyewitness that. Along with him was James and John, and also with Jesus in their glorified state was Elijah and Moses. But at the same time on that mountain, as you're seeing all this, that's when Peter said, I heard the voice of God the Father declaring, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what's important, Peter heard God the Father with his own ears. So he was an eyewitness to this. He was an ear witness to this. And, of course, this event is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. Mark's Gospel declares that Jesus became transformed before them, and his clothes were shining exceedingly white like snow. So Peter, like any one of us, if we had witnessed what he witnessed, and someone was to walk up to us or Peter and say, hey, tell me why you believe in Jesus. And like Peter, each of us would rehash that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw him transposed into his glory. We heard the voice of the Father verifying, this is my son. Listen to him. And even say, hey, James and John both were there with me. They can verify also the same story. This is why I believe in Jesus and I'll always follow him. And if need be, I will die believing what I saw and heard on that mountain that day. But Peter doesn't do that. I would do that, but Peter doesn't do that. But he gives us a better foundation for faith than him seeing and hearing it. A foundation to, in our faith in Jesus that is even more sure than any personal experience I might have with him. Now, someone might say, well, what could be a greater foundation for faith than seeing and even hearing? I mean, isn't seeing believing and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God? I mean, what could be a more sure foundation of our faith than seeing and hearing? But Peter says 
here in verse 19, this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. The prophetic word confirmed. In other words, Peter's faith was not confirmed in him being an eyewitness to what he saw and heard. That is not my foundation for my faith in Jesus Christ, Peter is saying. But mine is the Old Testament teachings of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the anointed of God. So there's something better than believe, seeing and believing, but faith based upon the prophetic Old Testament word of God. And when we go back to the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve, immediately God began to speak a series of prophecies concerning Messiah. That God said that he would send into the world to save Adam and Eve and all their descendants from the horrible consequences of the sin of eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right after Adam and Eve sinned, God told them and all of us that he would send a Messiah into the world so to save us from our sin. And here's what God said to the serpent there in the Garden of Eden immediately after Adam and, Adam and Eve fell. He said this in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you look at this, you go, wait a minute, a woman doesn't bring seed to the reproductive process. Men brings the seed, not the woman. The woman brings the egg. So, describing seed to the woman, God is saying, this is going to be a virgin birth. In other words, it's a conception that will occur independent of a man. It will be the miracle of by the Holy Spirit. And 740 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah the prophet declared in Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. God also declared when Messiah comes into this world, he will not only be divine, but he'll be also human, 100% man, 100% God. In Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And of course in Isaiah 7, and once again it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us along with god declared that messiah would be a descendant of abraham isaac and jacob and more precise that he would be from the tribe of judah of the 12 tribes of the 12 sons of jacob and even more precise he would come from the family of david and so jesus was god also declared when messiah came into this world that he would be rejected and he would die by the hands of the very ones who sent him into the world to save it isaiah 53 says he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. We can recognize immediately the person that Isaiah is talking about. It's Jesus. You have to realize this was, what, this was not given to us post-crucifixion. This was hundreds of years before he was born and crucified. Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah 53 that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was laid as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And it's so true of Jesus that he was rejected, and he died at the hands of the very people who came, that he came to save. And listen, as the Jewish people read the prophetic scriptures, 
And they would look at these passages of the suffering Messiah like in Isaiah 53. Then they would read the passages of the, of the Messiah coming as a king to rule and to reign. And these two entirely different pictures, and they just didn't know how to reconcile them. It mind-blowing for the Jewish people. They did not know what to do with them. They didn't know how they could be united by one life. They had no clue that there was a first coming of Messiah as a suffering Messiah, and there would be a second coming as a conquering Messiah to rule in the reign. And without knowing what we know today, they did what any one of us would have done. We liked the positive of the two Messiahs and would camp on that one. And these passages were unthinkable to them of the treatment of the Messiah, and it was, so, it was, it was an easy decision just to be looking for a conquering Messiah. And we will camp on the positive Messiah, the conquering Messiah, and we will be the one we're looking for. So they basically ignored the scriptures about Messiah coming and suffering, where they basically applied them to something else. They actually applied it to themselves. They said that those scriptures in Isaiah were not talking about a person. It was talking about the nation of Israel and the persecution and the Holocaust and, and the, and the anti-Semitism that's gone on for, you know, as, as long as they've been in existence, which is true. But the very fact is the Bible does talk about the things that's happened to the nation of Israel as a nation, but these passages that they are attributing to one person, the Messiah, they are trying to attribute it to themselves, and that's not so. They just couldn't trust God in all this, that it's going to work out. Though you can't figure it out, just trust me and walk by faith. No, no. Their minds would not allow them to trust God in what God had declared for the Messiah. No, they felt they had to make the Bible make sense. And in their minds, conquering Messiah made sense. Suffering Messiah was impossible. Those scriptures must be about us and our people. Yet God declared that Messiah would have a piercing of his hands and his feet. David prophesied that about Messiah 1,000 years before he was actually even born. God declared that the soldiers would gamble for his clothing while he hung on the cross. And 800 years before crucifixion was even invented, there would be that piercing of his hands and his feet. His side would be pierced as it was to confirm his death. And he would be among thieves at his death. God also declared that the Messiah's body would not remain in that death where his body would corrupt but he would, he'd be raised from the dead. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. And we can go on and on, for Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies of his first coming as the suffering Messiah. The ones that are not fulfilled are the ones for his second coming, which he will come again the second time as the conquering King of kings and the Lord of lords and fulfill all those. But all these prophecies were given, so when the Messiah came into human history, no one would miss him. The description is that thorough and that complete. There's even the time-sensitive prophecies of Daniel, who named through historical events the very day Messiah would be declared. That day when he came in, it was the day in Jerusalem that the Jesus made his triumphal entry, declaring to the world, Messiah is here, fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel to the very day. No one else rode in on a donkey that day except for this man from Nazareth. Daniel's prophecy fulfillment took place on April 6th, A.D. 32. That was the day the Lord had made that was prophesied in Psalm 118, the day that the world would know without mistake that Messiah wrote it. I mean, even the Jewish people recognized that this must be Messiah because they started crying out, Hosanna, save now, which is from Psalm 118, the day the Lord had made. It's just basically saying that we believe that this is the Messiah as he wrote in on that very day. But they were thinking 
conquered Messiah to save them from Rome. They had no idea that he would save them from their sin. There was no way Messiah could have been missed if they were trusting God by faith according to his word. Those scriptures of rejection, death, were explained away. A false teaching of those suffering Messiah passages because the truth just didn't make sense. God's truth is not always going to make sense. That's why we lean not to our own understanding, but we acknowledge him in all thy ways, and he will direct our path. This faith that we have in Jesus is not a blind faith. It's faith in believing the God who declared in such precision of the coming Messiah. It's faith in God's word. It's a total trust in the prophetic word of God that came to fulfillment, yet was declared hundreds of years beforehand. Jesus said the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament prophecy, Psalm 118, about Messiah, and he was saying to them that your rejection of me is a witness to the fact that I am the Messiah because the psalmist declares that you would do this very thing. So Peter is saying to us in 2 Peter 1.19 that we would make the prophecies that are confirmed our basis as well as our belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the one who took my sin away at the cross and upon his death. Don't believe me because I say so, Peter would say, or as I witnessed to his glory and heard God's voice. Not that reason at all, but it is what is sure prophecy of God declaring Messiah before he came on the scene, and perfectly precise those prescriptions actually were. Verse 20, and it says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter is making sure that he tells us that the origin of these Scriptures was not in man, but in God, who only spoke to man by way of his Holy Spirit. There is no human being that could have painted that kind of picture in 300 prophecies that all came to pass in this one man, Jesus from Nazareth. It was humanly impossible for this feat to have ever taken place by man. Only God could have been the author of such a portrait. Listen, of course, only one person God is describing in human history in those prophecies, it was Jesus from Nazareth. That God loved you and I so much that he wanted me to identify him in human history unmistakably, and you too, so that we would not be fooled by all the charlatans, the false hopes, and all the voices that are propagated in this world today. And to put our faith in Jesus, you can be sure that you will not be disappointed because it's not blind faith, it's faith on the facts. It's not warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside or emotion. It is the facts of God's word that was prophesied hundreds of years before he came onto the scene, and only God could have painted a portrait this magnificently.